Today on Blue 58, the Packers drew headlines for spending big on edge rushers last spring, but they've invested almost as heavily over the years in their defensive backfield. Today, we're going to explore why that actually might have been the smarter play last year, even though it might not be sustainable. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Link-heavy episode today. You're going to want to be checking your show notes on your listening device of choice. Otherwise, just look for us on social media. You'll be able to find the show notes there. The Packers are talking about racial justice again after the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. Wanted to touch on this briefly because I thought they actually said some really good things. Matt LaFleur, Monday morning uh, after practice, said this. He met with the leadership team and then, quote, I wanted to get our guys' perspective and float around some ideas about how we can make a difference and use our platform. Things have to change. Social injustice, police brutality, antiquated laws. We have to bring awareness to everyone that black lives matter. End quote. Aaron Rodgers, one of the players on that leadership council, also spoke on Monday. He had some good things to say, too. Here is one of them. Quote, I think the governor and folks at the Capitol need to take a hard look at some of those systems that are in place. I know a ton of police officers. A lot of them have traveled with us over the years. I've been pulled over a couple of times and had nice interactions, which aren't the norm for all the guys on the squad. One action by a cop doesn't mean that every cop is unfit for duty or is a racist, but it gives them a bad name and a bad look. I hope there are cops who can speak out as we're speaking out about these things and can be disgusted at this unfortunate norm, end quote. A lot of good to unpack in both of those things. I think the the thrust of Roger's message is really the best. His experience with police is not the norm for all the guys on the squad. 70% of the players on the Packers right now, give or take a little bit, are black. And as we know, I think it's beyond arguing that black people in the United States have a different experience with police than white people. And it seems like Matt LaFleur is doing a really good job of listening to his his players, or put it differently, listening to his employees, because I think what Matt LaFleur is doing here is just being a good boss. If there's something that 70% of your employees care about deeply, even even maybe less than that, maybe 50% of your employees care about deeply, it's a good idea for you to listen in and take some action about that. Now, the responses, some of the responses to what these guys have said has been fairly predictable. Stick to sports. They don't have to do that if they're asked. Nobody cares about your opinion. Yes, they do. That's why they were asked. What about blank? What about it? More than one thing can be bad at once. Here's what it comes down to, like I said. Other people have different life experiences than you do. Try to understand them. That is what being a good person is about at its core. Other people are different than you. Care about them the same way you care about yourself. Figure out what they care about and try to at least understand it. Also, you don't necessarily have to have a take on everything. That's why I want to talk more generally about this stuff than about the particulars of this case. As many people have pointed out, not all the facts about this case have come out. I don't think that changes the base fact that Jacob Blake shouldn't have been shot, not to death, but shot in front of his kids. But that is a different discussion for a different day. 
So in light of that, though it's not comprehensive by any means, I would continue to steer you back to the resource page that we put together on race in the NFL. This is not intended, again, to be a broad-based discussion about race in America. This is not the podcast for that, and I am not the host. But I think the resources we put together will give you a little glimpse into why things are the way they are in the NFL and why people in the NFL are talking about the race race the way that they do. If nothing else, you should be able to get a good idea of what some of the people who may be different than you are are going through in their day-to-day lives. And that's really the least you can do, but also one of the best things you can do. Now for something completely different. It occurred to me recently that it might be beneficial for our conversations about the Packers if we could do more to help other people get on the same page with the conversation we're having. So as I read stuff in just my day-to-day research for this podcast and just day-to-day NFL reading, I thought it would be a good idea to more regularly highlight some of the good stuff that I think is out there. So I've got three pieces today that I wanted to touch on briefly before we got into our main topic about the Packers' defensive backs. First, Football Outsiders released today, Tuesday, the day we're recording this show, uh, their breakdown of the 2019 NFL uh, by receivers running routes, the best receivers in the NFL for each route that you can run, basically. Not an exhaustive list, but the most common routes in the NFL. The entire thing is worth a look, but I thought it was interesting in in particular to look at Devontae Adams because on the good side of this article, Devontae Adams is considered one of the best players in the NFL at running wide receiver screens. The bad news is wide wide receiver screens are horribly inefficient. Only three players in the entire NFL created positive value for their teams on wide receiver screens. Everyone should stop throwing these passes almost immediately. As soon as we can, get these plays out of the playbook. Don't believe me? Just look at this stat line. Out of 15 targets on screen passes, Devontae Adams only generated 94 yards, 6.2 yards per target. No thank you. Aaron Jones can run for almost that on a carry, and we know how inefficient running the ball is. Yes, there is an aspect of just taking free yards when they're there, but this is way too big a part of too many teams' offense, and I would would say the Packers are among them. Second thing I wanted to point you towards, and again, these are all linked in your show notes. Take a look at that. NFL Advanced Stats has introduced a new tool that is going to chart wide receiver routes in real time. This is very cool. You've probably seen those charts that they put together, NFL advanced stats of what routes a guy ran during a game or where a quarterback threw the ball, how the ball traveled, stuff like that. The NFL now has a tool to chart those in real time, which I just think is absolutely the the coolest thing going right now. Here's a quote from their article. Again, you can find the full thing in your show notes. Quote, the next-gen stats player tracking system records the XY location, speed, acceleration, direction, and orientation of all 22 players on the field in real time. Our new route recognition model leverages this data as inputs into a model that assigns a route type to every eligible receiver on every pass play, including tight ends and running backs. Our architectural approach uses a combination 
of convolutional neural networks and short-term memory networks trained on Amazon's SageMaker platform. CNNs allow us to engage with the spatial nature of our data set, that is where each player is on the field in a given play, while the other networks allow us to engage with the temporal nature of our data set, which happens as the play develops over time, end quote. In short, they're going to show you where wide receivers are going in plays as they unfold in real time. I think this is extremely cool. This is not even an advanced stat so much as being able to see and categorize what a guy is doing. We've talked a lot on this show about uh, depth of target and things like that. For this, you won't even have to look at a spreadsheet to know what a guy's doing. You can just see all of the routes he's run at once. Very, very cool. And they have some really cool examples of what it actually looks like for different players. And you can see the differences in how these players, how these players operate uh, over the course of the game just by looking at where they are on the field, which seems obvious, but that's something that doesn't show up in traditional box scores and even not so much with, with advanced stats too. So this is, this is very cool. Finally, over the weekend, and it turns out just we're just getting news about this as, as I sat down to record, uh, there were a bunch of false positive COVID-19 tests throughout the NFL over the weekend. The Packers apparently did have a false positive, uh, according to PackersNews.com. Uh, but it turned out to be nothing. Um, the, the long and short of it is a bunch of players got positive COVID results that turned out to be false positive. And that sucks in a big, big way. That could derail an entire week for a team. Imagine that happening the morning of a game or the night before a game. And you got to figure out whether guys can play, whether they can't. It's the scenarios we've talked about before. Imagine the already shaky right half of the Packers offensive line just getting wiped out by two or three guys testing positive. But Connor Orr writes for Sports Illustrated something that I think puts this in a little bit of perspective. Quote, I reached out to a friend of mine preparing to teach middle schoolers in western New Jersey to ask how often they receive a COVID-19 test. They don't and probably never will. Instead, just getting a piece of paper that asks a few vague questions about potential symptoms. Hand sanitizing stations are on back order and probably won't be there in time for the first day. The school hasn't spaced out the desks just yet. A nurse friend of mine in Tennessee, where cases are more active than they are here in the Northeast, won't get tested until symptomatic or if directly exposed to someone who has an active case. An OBGYN friend of mine who works delivering babies during the pandemic said that if they're really concerned about the virus, they can secure their own testing from home, end quote. Goes on like that. The point is, as much as it stinks for NFL players to get these false positive, there are people in a much more direct line of fire for the virus, not living in a bubble, not living in a state-of-the-art facility like Lambeau Field or like many other NFL teams deal with, that aren't even getting tested at all. Or if the tests are available, they may not give you the results that you're hoping for, not active or accurate results. Imagine a false negative in a situation where you're teaching a bunch of middle schoolers and suddenly you've exposed a couple classrooms worth of kids to this virus in a, in a short amount of time. That creates a whole bunch of problems for a whole bunch of people in short order. So just have a little bit of perspective about football season as much as we can. I think it'll be hard to lose that perspective, but you never know. Let's talk about defensive backs. I've alluded to this a couple times in the past couple of episodes, especially as we've talked about edge rushers and linebackers and the defensive line. The rush versus cover debate. And I'm excited about this piece. Let's talk about this. Early 2019, Pro Football Focus 
writers, Eric Eager and George Charawi. Hopefully I didn't murder your name too bad, George. I'm sorry. Eric and George put together a great piece analyzing years worth of pro football focus da uh, data, trying to solve an important question. What is more important, rushing the passer or playing coverage? More practically, where should you be investing your, investing your resources if you're building a team? Should you be looking to get pass rushers or should you be looking to get defensive backs? Here's what they said. Two quotes here. Quote, PFF coverage grades both explain and predict defensive success better than pass rush, but they come at the expense of year-to-year -year stability at both the player and team level. Next year's Aaron Donald is likely to be Aaron Donald. But if a team is going to have a ton of success as a result of strong play by their defense, they will likely need to have next year Stefan Gilmore on their team, who is probably not going to be Stefan Gilmore himself. End quote. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Basically, their research shows that it is better to have, at least for one season, good coverage than a good pass rush. However, if you're trying to build the best team long term, you're going to get more consistent results through building a pass rush than trying to play coverage all the time. That's because there's a lot of volatility to coverage success. There's more to it than that, though, as the second quote will explain. Quote, however, this research falls short of saying if you invest heavily in great secondary play, you will have a great defense for a few reasons. First, we're not as good as we'd like to be yet at reliably identifying year to year who great coverage players are, as demonstrated by the stability analysis we've done. Coverage players who grade out well one year are more likely to grade well the next year than those who do not, but the uncertainty is substantial. Secondly, and likely more importantly, your defensive success is largely a function of the offenses and more specifically the quarterbacks your team faces, something it has little control over even when sound personnel and scheme decisions are made. Playing off this second note is the simple fact that a coverage unit with one or two weak links may be a pretty bad coverage unit because an offense dictates where the ball goes while a pass rush requires less continuity, end quote. So what does that mean for the Packers? At a base level, I think it says some good things about the way the Packers have constructed their team, and it says a lot about why the Packers' defense improved last year. So if we accept as a fact that a single-year sample might show that it's better to have good coverage than good pass rush, you can see why the Packers might have had a good defense last year more because of their coverage than their pass rush. The Packers' secondary last year was remarkably healthy. They got basically full seasons from their four best players, their four players they used the most. Kevin King missed a little bit of time. Darnell Savage missed a little bit of time. But other than that, it was pretty healthy. They got full seasons from Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos. Tremont Williams was available all season long, so was Chandon Sullivan. The Packers had a lot of good bodies to throw out there. They also forced a lot of turnovers, and they also faced a lot of pretty miserable quarterbacks. They put all that together into a top 10 passing defense. According to Football Outsiders DVOA metric, the Packers had the ninth best pass defense in the league last year. Pretty darn good. But 
as we've said over the past few episodes, there is a big chance the Packers could regress in 2020. And why is that? Well, they kind of get to it in the second part of that quote there. A couple weak links can really, really tear your secondary apart because the other team is a lot more able and equipped to attack those parts of your defense than they would have been otherwise. So say the Packers don't get a full season from their four top defensive backs. Say Adrian Amos misses four or five games or Jair Alexander misses four or five games. Suddenly, you can attack whoever's in in Jair Alexander's spot or you can go a little bit more at Kevin King or you can do a lot of different things. You can continue to attack different parts of the Packers' defense depending who's out there. And as we've talked about before, even a couple minutes ago, the Packers' defense was uniquely healthy in 2019, something they are not likely to continue in 2020 just because of the way injuries go in the NFL. But all things being equal, let's assume the Packers can keep those players together. Where do those players fit within the overall strategy of building a good defense through having solid coverage? Let's sort out the highest profile defensive backs the Packers have right now. I think we've got a few different buckets. Guys who are great fits for that strategy now and later. Guys who seem good but we've had limited exposure to. Guys who we've had limited exposure to or just uncertain about even if we've had a lot of exposure to them. Guys who look bad, even in limited snaps. And then guys who are just unknown. That gets us to most of the Packers defensive backs who I think have a real shot at making the roster. The great fits now and over the next couple of years are pretty obvious, I think. We've got Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, and Adrian Amos. Jair Alexander is a legit number one corner. He'll get beat sometimes, but he's tenacious. He'll bounce back. You know exactly what you're going to get from Jair Alexander, and there's no reason, I think, to to believe he'll be taking a step back here anytime soon. Darnell Savage is athletic. He's versatile in coverage. Adrian Amos, not quite as athletic, but just as versatile in different sort of ways. He can play down in the box, uh, more of a, uh, a strong safety type. Uh, a little bit of versatility in that way, can play a little nickel linebacker type stuff. Those guys are all all solid. They'll, they'll give you good results just about anywhere you put them on the field. Chandon Sullivan has had limited exposure in this defense, but the results have been good so far. He's been fantastic in short reps, one of the best in terms of per-target efficiency on the Packers last year. He's continued to be one of the darlings of camp. He, he plays well. Everybody in the Packers' defensive back room talks about him. Jair Alexander mentioned him. Kevin King mentioned him. Adrian Amos mentioned him when uh, when talking in his presser. Everybody seems to like Chandon Sullivan. It's a little bit uncertain how he'll perform in, in more snaps, but for the short term, it looks like he's doing a pretty good job. We're less certain about Kevin King. It's never good to be asking, what is he heading into year four? But I think that's what we're asking. If you want to boil it down to one word, what he is, is inconsistent. Because nobody can seem to put a firm label on him, even if you use the advanced numbers. No lie, this offseason, I saw pieces declaring him one of the best man-to-man corners in the league, one of the best zone corners in the league. 
Is he good at creating turnovers because he's a good corner, or does he just get thrown at a lot? Nobody really knows. What we do know about Kevin King is pretty much what we knew about him coming out of Washington. He's tall, he's fast, he's long. He can make plays on the ball, but he'll also just flat out get lost in coverage sometimes too. We also at this point know he's better than Josh Jones, which stings a little bit, but it's true. Raven Green is kind of in the same bucket. We've had limited exposure to Raven Green because of injuries. We know he hits hard, okay, but what else? Well, he hits hard. Other than that, we haven't got a real good look at him. Last year, it seemed like the Packers really tailed off when he went out early in the season. But that was a pretty small sample size. Maybe they were just beating up on bad quarterbacks again. The flip side of that coin is guys who look bad in limited exposure. Will Redmond could be nicknamed the Red Flag. Will the Red Flag Redmond. Whenever he was on the field, it seemed like he had a beacon that said, throw it here. If he's the Packers' third safety, you need a different safety out there. They did their darndest to make him work last year, and it just did not work out for the Packers' defense. Josh Jackson, we've got a much longer look at. Seems like he's having a good camp so far. He couldn't buy a snap his first couple years, though. Supposedly, he's just going to be a boundary cornerback this year. That's neat. Okay, sure. But how does that help him on the versatility-heavy Packers? Packers love their versatility. They love it if you can do more than one thing. Maybe that additional thing for Josh Jackson is playing a little bit of safety. But I don't know. Kevin King is also kind of the same way. He's just going to do one thing, play on the outside. How many defensive backs do you really need on your roster, do you want on your roster, who can just do one thing? I don't think that speaks too well to his long-term viability on the Packers. The big-time unknowns among the Packers defensive backs are three. Now, there's more than this, but I think these are the three with the most realistic shots at making the roster. Kadar Holman spent the whole year last year on the active roster. He's fast as heck, but what else? He'll do special teams for you. Great. We don't know much about him on defense. Kibi Onento, still just a couple years removed from being a wide receiver. He jumps really high. He's good outside presence. But again, beyond that, we don't really know. Stanford Samuels, an undrafted free agent from Florida State this year. He ran bad at the combine and fell in the draft, fell all the way out of the draft as a result. Seems to have good ball skills. He's making some plays in camp so far, but again, a pretty big unknown. Does all this add up to the data-beating group of Packers defensive backs that's going to define the, defy the trend and be stable from year to year? I don't think we know yet, and it's going to depend a lot on who can stay healthy here. What does concern me a little bit here is the lack of depth, especially at corner. The Packers have Jair Alexander, and beyond that, it's Kevin King, the question mark, and Chandon Sullivan. Good in short reps, we don't know longer term. Tremont Williams has been a little bit ambivalent about whether or not he even wants to play this year. I think the Packers could probably change his mind. Things have moved around a little bit with the Kenny Clark contract, but if we're just looking at this year... It, it might be worth a shot. And if it comes down to Tremont Williams or, say, another backup tackle, that's a really tough call to make. I lean maybe a little bit more Williams because I think you can get by trying to make a right tackle just for a couple of games. And plus, you've got Alex Light, you've got Billy Turner, you've got even Rick Wagner there. You've got options at least. The Packers seem to have less depth at cornerback. 
may be worth exploring. At least take a look. And, and I'm, sure, I'm sure the Packers, that's not news to the Packers, but it, it'd be the position that, that I come down on. But there's your rush versus cover discussion. What are your takes on that? Do you think you should invest more in pass rush or in coverage? Are you convinced by the data? Are you less convinced by the data? I don't know if I come down on either side just yet, but I think this discussion is interesting and I'm, I'm eager for there to be more data about this and more discussion about it because I think it, it does have big implications for how you build your roster. The Packers have done a little bit of both so far. What are their results going to be in year two of the really investing in defense era? We'll find out here in just a couple of weeks. So I've got for you on this episode. Do appreciate you listening in. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate everybody who takes the time to download and listen in here. Download numbers are looking really good lately. So thank you very much for that. We've picked up some new Patreon supporters too. Got some more content coming out there for you this week. So if you are supporting us on Patreon, thank you very much and look out for that. If you're not, consider doing that. It helps us uh, keep all the lights on here, keep everything going, and uh, it shows you value, what we do here. And plus, it gets you a little access to some, some additional content, too. So that's never a bad thing as well. If that is of interest to you, check out your links in your show notes. You can find out how to donate support there and all that good stuff. If not, if you want to support this show a different way, one of the best ways you can do that is just by telling someone who might benefit from this show to give us a listen. That's going to keep this conversation around the Packers going and ultimately achieve our goal of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.